So great to see you all. And uh, if we've never met, my name is Ben, and with my wife, Bonnie, we get to uh, lead and pastor this location, and we're so appreciative of, of uh, each and every one of you. You know, there's, there comes a time some, when I prepare a message, there's some messages where I feel like the, 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 the verse or the truth that I want to bring forth is something that I'm living or I've got a hold of, and I feel that I can preach it with confidence, you know, going, I, I feel like I got this, so here it is. And then there's other times where God will speak to me and I feel like the message is for me. And hopefully you can just sit by and listen to myself, preach it to myself. This is one of those messages. All right, so do you mind if I just preach this to me and hopefully you'll learn something along the way? Is that all right? I'm just being honest, just being open, just being transparent with you. There's these two men that come to see Jesus on two separate occasions. One I'm sure you'll be really familiar with. His name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short man. Actually, he was really short. So short that if he was in a crowd, he couldn't see a barbie. He struggled to see around. He was limited in his stature. But he was also a tax collector, which in those days, you didn't just take what was required from a tax point of view. You're often quite dishonest and you took a whole lot for yourself. So Zacchaeus was short and he was hated. And so Jesus comes to town. There's a buzz in the air and the people gather to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus gathers as well because he wants so desperately in his heart to see Jesus. But remember, he's short. He can't see through the crowd and the crowd don't like him. They're not moving apart. They're not moving aside. They're not letting him come forward like you do on your school photos for the, short, the shorter people that sit at the front. They're not doing that for him. But such is the desire to see Jesus that he climbs the tree to position and posture himself ready to encounter God. And he does that. Jesus stops and sees him. And in a moment, Zacchaeus encounters the love and the grace of Jesus and heart transformation starts to occur. This is a man who was known for his dishonesty. This is a man that you didn't trust. Yet in the process of encountering Jesus, you see someone who was stingy, someone who was tight, someone that wanted everything for himself. All of a sudden, his home is open to hospitality. All of a sudden, those that he'd wronged, he's repaying debts. Even though he'd held so tightly to his money, he started to live in generosity towards others because what was going on in his heart was now starting to affect every aspect of his life. You see, once he served money, but now money was serving him and his heart's priorities had shifted His use and his view of money started to reflect what was going on new in the inside. In contrast to Zacchaeus, there's another man that comes to see Jesus with a similar desire to want to know who Jesus is. His, we don't know his name, but we know he was young and he was rich and he was a ruler. We only get the descriptor of his life, not who he was in person. But he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit and have eternal life? And Jesus 
being a good Jew, talking to another good Jew, says, well, this is what you've got to do. You've got to keep all the commandments. And he lays out a few of them. And this young rich ruler says, oh, well, I've been doing them since youth. I've, 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 I've ticked the list. I've done all those things. But Jesus, perceiving something about his heart, said there's one thing you lack. He says, I want you to take all that you have, sell it and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And here comes one of the saddest moments that you read in the Bible. It says that man went away disheartened. He went away sorrowful because he was rich. You see, unlike Zacchaeus, where money served him, this man served money. His heart was so for what he had that he couldn't surrender to the invitation of Jesus. You see, how we view and how we handle our finances reflects what's going on in here. And if you're taking notes, today's, the title of today's message is The Truth That Money Tells. The Truth That Money Tells. Now, don't check out on me. Stay with me, all right? Because I know as soon as a preacher starts talking money, everyone gets sort of, they hold back and they go, oh, I don't know where this is going. But can I encourage you, this message is a reflective message. You know, as we mature, as we get older, we should move into a space where we actually reflect on our life, reflect on our choices, reflect on the why we do what we do. Why we think the way we think. Like my two-year-old Audrey, she doesn't reflect on her life. She sees, she wants, and she goes for. She doesn't consider what it will cost others. She doesn't consider how it will hurt others maybe. She just wants what she wants and she gets what she gets. But as we get old, as we mature, we reflect on how my choices will affect others and how and what I do impacts me, and this is what this message is all about. I, I, I just can't believe we've gone through a great series of the book of Colossians, a series on Colossians. I can't believe it's come to an end. I so enjoyed that series. I enjoyed preparing the message, but I enjoyed listening to a whole lot of different people start to unlock that book, little book of Colossians. One of the things that really gripped me over the last couple of weeks was the truth that I was dead in sin, but I've become alive in Christ. I've been made new. There's new life in Christ. God doesn't just renovate our lives. He doesn't just paint over our past. He actually, our past is dead and now we are made new, alive in Christ. We are a new person, a new creation. I love that that's what it talks about in Colossians 3, 1. He says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. We were dead and made alive. There's, a, there's new life and therefore with new life there comes a new way. And with new way there becomes a new focus. And in Christ, through salvation, everything changes. Everything you see, salvation is holistic. It's not just about our future reality. It's not just about eternity when we die. It's about living life here and now through the grace of God. 
And so even though my sights might be set on heaven, salvation impacts my here and now. That's why Jesus said, pray like this, pray that your kingdom come on earth now as it is in heaven. Salvation affects everything. It doesn't just affect our spiritual standing, it affects every aspect of our life, the way we work out, walk out our lives. Jesus put it this way when he announced why he came. He stood up in the synagogue one one morning, as was his custom, and he read from the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, 18 and 19. It says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me now, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news. What's the good news? He was standing there. He is the good news. That salvation is through him and by him. He was declaring that which the angels declared at his birth, that the Saviour of the world is here. That he has come to rescue men and women from their sins. That is the good news of the gospel. But he didn't just stop there that he's come to give salvation because salvation is so much more. He actually describes the aspects of salvation. He goes, this is what it looks like. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. So what has you spiritually bound? Christ wants to free. But we know that it doesn't just relate to the spiritual side. It relates to every aspect that would try and bind us. And so there's physical freedom that we can experience in Christ. He goes, and recovery of sight to the blind. Not just where sin has blinded us from the truth. We saw as Jesus outwalked the salvation throughout his ministry that people who were physically blind got healed. You see, salvation is not just to your spirit, but it's to your physicality. That's why healing is a part of the salvation process. He goes on to say, set the oppressed free. The pressure you're under not just the spiritual pressure, but systems and circumstances that have us oppressed. Christ has come to set us free, to lift those things off us. But then he says one final thing, which often we look over or we glance over when we read this passage. He says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's actually referencing the Jewish tradition and custom of the year of Jubilee where every 50 years, anyone who was in debt was released from their debt. Anyone who had to have given over land to cover a debt, it was returned to them. Anyone enslaved was set free. And here Jesus stands up and declares the year of the Lord's favour that in the salvation process, those things are affected in our own lives. Not only the debt that we have in regards to our sins, but that it affects our every day and aspect of our lives. That salvation is for the spirit, is for the physical, and even extends into the financial because salvation is holistic. Jesus confirmed it when he said, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly or life to the full. I've said it so many times before, but that word life, zoe, speaks of eternal life, but also life right now. It speaks of spiritual life, but it speaks of physical life right now. Salvation changes everything. My biggest question though, how do I know that I'm changing? What's the evidence in my heart or of my heart that it's transforming how how do I know 
I mean, I wish I, I wish I had a mirror that I could look into and see the state of my heart. Wouldn't that be handy? I mean, you ever been to a gym and seen all the mirrors on the wall? Now, they've got a few different purposes. One's to check that you're doing the exercise right. It gives you a reference point to see, yeah, I'm performing that correctly. For those that are a little bit more self-enamored with themselves, it gives you an opportunity to see how good you look, you know. How are you doing? But for the very important aspect of a mirror is that it reflects back the transformation that hopefully is going on in the physical body by lifting weights. It gives us a reference to the truth that's actually occurring. You ever, you remember the fairy tale, Snow White? The evil queen had a mirror. It talked to her. She had a mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? And it would say, you are, until Snow White turned up. And then that was, that's the, the whole story. I, I, I don't really have a mirror that talks to me like that, but my mirror does actually tell me the truth in regards to a whole lot of different circumstances. If I told you that I was 21... My mirror tells me the truth that I'm 42. If I said to you, I had a really good night's sleep last night, my mirror will tell me the truth. And no, you didn't. The bags under the eyes, the redness. If I told you I'm trim, taut and terrific, my mirror will tell me the truth of whether that is actually true or not. My mirror talks to me. It tells me the truth. Now, when I say it tells me the truth, what it does, it reflects the truth of the circumstance, the truth of the situation. However, this mirror is not very good at reflecting my heart. I mean, sure, you can look into a mirror and you might see the mood on your face, which reflects maybe a state of your heart, maybe the tear stains through your makeup. But ultimately, this mirror isn't going to show you your heart, its state, its level of transformation. I mean, can you give me some evidence? I need some evidence that the old is gone, the new has come. Wouldn't that be great if you had a mirror like that? It'd be a little bit confronting, given that, but amazing, wouldn't you? You'd wake up every morning and go, oh, where's the state of my heart at? Do you know Jesus actually gives us mirrors to help us perceive and reflect on the state of our heart? Here's the first one, Luke 6, 45. He says this, for out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell the state of your heart by what's coming off your lips. If out of your mouth is coming criticism, negativity, discouragement, it's actually reflecting what's going on in here. However, if your heart is transforming to become more Christ-like, what you should start to see and start to hear is that off your lips are coming words of kindness, of love, of generosity and encouragement. There should be truth, but truth in love. The mirror that is your words. Jesus goes on and he talks about in Matthew 7, 18, he talks about another mirror and that's our actions. He uses the metaphor that is fruit. He says, a, a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. By the fruits, you will know them. So your actions actually speak about what's going on in your heart. So if you're like Zacchaeus, dishonest, it speaks more about your heart. Remember in Colossians, we talked about how 
when our heart starts to change, it starts to affect the way we treat others. So a transformed heart should actually outwork itself in our marriage relationship, in the way we treat our employee or if we're an employer or if we're an employee, how we treat our employee. Whatever. Do you know what I'm getting at? The transformed heart affects the way we treat others. It is seen in our actions. And so if our heart is transforming more and more like Christ, then our actions should be more kind more loving. Generosity becomes a part of that acts of love. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll love one another. And so our actions are a, are a mirror that reflect the state of our heart. But there's another mirror that Jesus speaks of. He actually speaks of this more than most topics. He speaks to this more than prayer and faith. Actually, one quarter or just over one quarter of his parables are on the topic of money and possessions. One third of the Sermon on the Mount deals with this topic. Why? Because salvation is holistic. It changes everything. And wherever there's heart change, every aspect of our life should change. And so you see it in Zacchaeus, how salvation came to him And it changed everything. However, for the young rich ruler, of all the things on earth, how we handle our money and finance can cause the greatest blockage to actually seeing transformation. You've heard the term money talks? Often that's used in the sense of trying to secure a business deal or a sale. You know that, hey, I'll... I'll add a little bit more and that will talk to you. Money definitely talks. It tells a whole lot about you and it tells a whole lot about me. I mean, these things, they have a voice in our life. That's a bank statement. I'm just going to put it over here. 50 bucks, it lasted through the first service. So I know who's in the building if it goes missing afterwards. These things talk to us. They tell us a story. They tell us what's in here. They tell us the truth about what's going in on our heart. Matthew 6, 19 and 21. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is his greatest sermon where he starts to unpack all the difference and aspects of what it means to be saved, the heart changes that go on. He says, as you are transformed, these are the things that should happen. You should love your enemies. Those that are opposed If your heart's changing, then you will have love for them. He goes on to say that the heart transformed will actually see generosity towards the poor. That when you give to the needy, this is what you do. He goes on, as your heart transforms, your desire to pray will increase. And this is how you pray. He goes on to say that not only will you pray, but you'll have such a desire for God that you'll strip away those things that cloud your hearing and your vision and you'll fast so that you can get a clearer view of God. And then he lands really practically at this point. Now I have to, I have to tell you this, 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 Jesus is giving a warning here. We, we like Jesus when he's rescuing us from a broken state. We like Jesus when, we're, when he's saving us from pain. When we're, we're in a heap 
and he reaches down. We like that Jesus. But this Jesus here is expressing his love like a parent. Like a parent telling a kid, don't jump off the roof. It will cause you pain. Rather than trying picking up the child off the floor after they've already done it. Jesus is going, no, I love you so much that I want to give you the warning so that it will prevent you being in pain rather than fixing you from your pain. And this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. And so even though sometimes we don't like to hear a warning, understand that this is the love of God saying, don't walk this way because it will cause you pain, but instead live my way, which will lead to life. And so he writes, he says this in his message, he says, verse 19 of Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In verse 21, I want you to read this, say this out loud with me. You ready? For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. I remember in high school, I used to do high school chemistry. And we used to do a thing called a litmus test, where we would take a liquid or a substance and we would apply it to this test to to determine the true nature of the substance that we were working with. And so in 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 a few seconds, we would be able to determine whether what we were dealing with was acidic or alkaline, or whether it was neutral. Verse 21, it's our litmus test for our heart. You want to determine the true nature of your heart? Look at where you land here. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because how we handle our money and our finances tells the truth about what I have made my priority. We're very good at compartmentalizing Christianity. Happy to trust God with my eternity, but not trust Him with my money. Happy to trust Him with that which will last forever, but we don't trust Him with that which is only temporary. And we somehow compartmentalize in our head these things. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Salvation is holistic. It changes everything. And so if we trust God, it should just be full stop that we trust God in everything. Ultimately, though, how we treat money and finance, it's a heart issue. It starts here and outworks there. And Jesus, in one statement, holds up a mirror. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a reflective moment. It's a moment to go, okay, I'm not going to holler in faith. I'm not going to shout a hallelujah. I'm going to take a moment and quieten my heart and see the truth of where it's at. Because Jesus, he, he offers these two options. He says, the life that I've come to give you It's fullness, it's abundance, it has eternal consequence. It can't be taken away. Set your sights on this, Paul says. Look to this, new way, new life, new focus. 
do things that have eternal consequences. Chase God, pursue Him, obey Him, live a life of love and grace, love others that won't love you back. Be generous to others that can't be generous back. These things have eternal consequences. Lay up treasures that can't be taken away. That's the life that I've come to give you. But if you don't live, then then the, the other option is to live a life that is temporary. And when you set your sights only on this, you quickly realize it will disappear. I mean, in those days when Jesus is talking to this audience, one of the the, the clearest ways that they would describe their wealth was by what they wore. They would say, hey, look at me. This is how rich that I am. It's not that different to today with the brand names and the labels and all the other aspects. But they would come in fine garments to, to display their wealth. This is who I am. But how many of you have gone to the cupboard to grab out your favourite shirt and realised something's eaten a hole in it? Or you've put it on and realised, well, I must have put on a little bit of weight. The mirror didn't tell me that truth the other day, but this is telling me a truth today. Or your mother-in-law's come to visit and she's washed your favourite clothes and she's bleached them. True story. (laughs) And you realise that which you held so dearly and pursued so hard after disappears in a moment. What about your car? That shiny, bright new thing when you first drove it off the the car room floor. I put mine into the mechanic the other day and as he removed the hose to the radiator, the whole radiator collapsed in his hands. Not so shiny and new anymore. The dings in the doors from the wayward shopping trolleys, the paint that's peeling around the lights, that which I'd spent so much money on in a few years, disappearing in front of my eyes, its value and its worth. It's temporary. You can't take these things with you. Yet we pursue them as if we could. No one on their deathbed has ever wished that I had more toys. Their greatest desire is things that will last their relationships, their interactions, their love, their family, their God. I mean, you only have to have one look at this bank statement or your bank statement, and it will tell you a whole lot of truth in regards to what your priority is in. I I reflected on this as I put this message together. Golf and Bunnings. They're mine. If I'm not careful, those things become more important to me than the things of God. Now here, I I need to give you this. What Jesus is not saying is that money is bad. i got to get this out. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God actually blesses us with finance, with possessions, for our enjoyment. That's the type of father that he is. He's a good God who gives good gifts. And so I don't feel guilty when I'm hitting a golf ball on the golf course or driving a car because God has blessed me with these things to enjoy. It's not a question of whether I can enjoy them or not. God blesses us with money and possessions. They are not bad. They just are bad masters. Don't place your hope in them. And when we reflect in the mirror that is money, we determine what it is or who it is that we serve. 
I wonder if the band could come and join me. You see, Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Money's not bad. It's not bad to invest. It's not bad to save. It's not bad to build an inheritance for your children or your children's children. It's a fantastic tool for us to enjoy life with, to bless others. It's amazing to show affection towards others. I can't give you a bunch of flowers unless I've got money to buy them. It's an amazing tool to show affection. It's just not a great tool to give affection to. It's not worthy of our affection. It's a commodity that should serve us as we obey God, not a commodity to be served. And like the young rich ruler, money vies for our priority and our attention and the allegiance of our heart. And if we allow it to, and if we submit to it, it can have devastating consequences. You see, the young rich ruler, he wasn't prepared to swap allegiance. And as a result, his only inheritance, temporary. Jesus tells a parable of the sower. The sower goes and sows the seed. And you might be familiar with the parable that depending on where the seed fell, depended on the circumstances by which the seed grew. Now, he used the parable of the seed to represent the word of God, the gospel going into the heart of a person, the soil of the heart. And one of the places that he said the seed was sown into a place of soil and it sprouted up, but weeds grew around and choked that which had sown. And the weeds, the precious of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Money's not bad, but if we allow it, it can even choke the word of God in your heart. Like the young rich ruler went away sorrowful because it had choked any chance of heart transformation in his life. Whereas on the other hand, Zacchaeus, in his heart transformation, money found its right place. And it became something that he could serve with rather than serve it. It revealed his true priority. And so when Paul writes in Colossians, like we read before, since you have been raised to new life, set your sights on the reality of heaven, he's saying set your heart on things that are eternal. Prioritize this in your heart. Jesus said it first though, in Matthew 6, 33. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What's all these things? All the things that you need. Clothing, food, well, the shelter over your head. All those things, the things that we desire, the money, the possessions that we need to live a life and live a life to its fullness. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It's important that we get this order right the way Jesus says it. That our first and ultimate priority is to seek first his kingdom, that which is eternal, that which lasts that's which cannot be taken away. And as we seek that, God in His provision opens the door for us to be abundantly blessed in every area of life because salvation changes everything. The challenge is when we reverse the order, 
when our heart's priority is to seek all the other things, if that's our priority, that's all we get. Temporary. We miss the eternal when we reverse the order. And God, through His Son Jesus, offers us the opportunity and the warning. He says, let your hearts focus on what truly matters. I mean, how do, how do we work this out practically? You'll have to come back next week. Because we're going to talk about it next week. But you can't talk financial practicality without getting your heart right first because this is where it starts and from here it flows out of I'm going to introduce you to Jesus the financial advisor next week and you might think that's sacrilegious but if God created everything and gives us everything he has the right to speak into our lives in the way that we handle our money and finances and when we do it life and life to its fullness in that space of our life But today, we reflect in readiness. We reflect at the true nature of our heart. And I wonder if you'd stand with me because we're going to move into a time of communion. Yeah, that's weird. Why would you do communion after talking about money? Salvation changes everything. Paul's actually writing to the the church at Corinth, speaking of the Macedonian church in a time where even in their poverty, they lived this generous life. And he speaks of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, though he was rich, though he had everything in heaven, the blessings and the exceeding abundance of heaven, he gave all that up so he became poor so that in our poverty, we can become rich. Let me qualify this. Jesus didn't just come so that we'd have increased wealth and possessions. That wasn't his point. But he did come to give us life and life to the full. And wealth and possessions is in that, the blessing and overflow. It's just not our priority. Our priority is him. And salvation changes everything. So when he took the bread and he broke it, his body broken, yes, to cover our sin so that our brokenness would become wholeness, but it it included the physicality of our body, that we would be healed and whole. That was the work of salvation. And so healing is part of salvation. And when he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, we understand that without the shedding of blood, there can't be forgiveness of sins. And so when he shed his blood, we now can come into relationship forgiven. He's dealt with sin, but he's also dealt with the consequences of sin would outwork its way in the way that we handle our finances and our money. When we remember Jesus, we remember that salvation changes everything and a heart transformed affects every aspect of our life. And so in this moment, I wonder if you'll look in the mirror and take a reflective, as you consider Jesus and all that he's done, would you take a moment and say, God, where's my heart at? Where's my heart at? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And as we take this moment to eat and drink and to remember you, 
God, I pray that you would speak to us with respect to where our hearts are at. Help us walk into your life, the fullness of life that you promised, rather than fall into pain because we disobeyed and we walked away from your instruction. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you take and eat, take and drink as we worship God with this song. Thanks, team.